are live. Welcome today to the Biblos Podcast, guys. We're glad that you have joined us. I'm here with Brother Spencer Jordan, and we are tackling a subject that every young preacher needs to hear, every preacher's wife, I hope, can grasp and grab a hold of, and and saints, they need to understand it because it's a big deal. I want to talk to you about generational transfer or apostolic succession. How do we keep the truth alive and poignant and as pure and strong as it always has been? Mm-hmm. How do we stay away from dilution? How do we stay away from losing the message or going completely apostate and walking away? The Bible tells us to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. So how do we go from the the great generations that previously led us to to the next generations that are coming? And how do we do it without falling apart, growing less than? We're supposed to stand on the shoulders of those that came before us. How do we do that without getting rid of things that we desperately, desperately need? Yeah, I think there's a lot there in that topic. I remember um, seeing something one time that um, it was about uh, scientists that went to the Arctic and they drilled cores and the cores would be hundreds of feet deep. Um, And they'd pull these cores out and they'd go every so many inches. They would look at the consistency of the ice. They would look at things that they would find in the ice. Um, Oxygen levels. Yeah, oxygen levels. temperatures um and they took that data and inch by inch they basically flipped it the other way 20 years into the future so they estimated that every so many years there was a certain amount of ice that was added to Mm -hmm. the the initial core and um when they looked at it 20 years from now they they ran climate change projection models. Wow. And it was measured by looking in the past and looking at changes that happened slowly over time, inch by inch. Yeah. Boy, that's good. Well, very well said. How do you measure the climate, mm-hmm. so to speak? Yeah. Well, I want the same kind of climate that was in the book of Acts. Yeah. That's what I'm after. That's what God's people should be after. And we should do greater things than that and enjoy the presence of God, particularly as this hour that we're living in grows more, grows darker and more dire in our, our society. We, we need to make sure we are doing what the church does and, and growing and increasing and, and taking dominion. So, you know, there's a big argument there, you know, are we remaining old-fashioned? Are we remaining relevant? What should we modernize? What should we update? In our updating, are we throwing out timeless truths, or are we throwing out traditions that aren't really that necessary? That's a big, that's a big topic. Make a lot of people mad real quick. Oh, yeah, you can. <laughs> well, it's not, it's not a problem that is new. Every generation has faced it. Yeah. So... There's a book that I read one time. It's written by Dr. Dan Butler. He pastors, I think, in Bellflower, California, the Los Angeles area. He's a UPCI preacher. He's a brilliant man. And he 
wrote a book called The Sectarian Cycle. And basically what it means, what it, what it posits and states is that every three generations, people lose truth or it degenerates. And, and there's this measurable degeneration. So you'll have an original generation that fights for the truth, embraces the things of God, and then and and will become established. They then will give birth to a generation that keeps that truth. It grows, it increases. They polish it. They make it more mainstream and professional. They learn it. Mm-hmm. And the only context they ever have is it's not sin, it's not wickedness, it's not ungodliness. It's they know the church, yeah, and the things of God. And so they come up without all the challenges of the forefathers, and then. There's a third generation that eventually comes. That generation, if they do not make radical changes and reconnect to the first generation, they lose it. Yeah. There was a a deal one time on online where um a um a woman was was something like baking a cake or making a ham or something. Mm. And um <laughs> She cut off the end of it, mm-hmm. and her daughter looked at her and said, um, "Mom, why are you cutting the end of that off? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's that's good food. Why why are you cutting that off?" And she said, "Well, why am I cutting? I my my mom cut that off, and so they went to Grandma, and they asked Grandma, Grandma, um, why why did why did you?" cut the end of that off. And she said, because my pan wasn't long enough. Yeah. Um, I think the original story goes, she said the same thing and then they go find great grandma. <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm afraid many times what happens is um, as generations progress, um, sometimes there's also a regression and, and they lose perhaps to the reason behind what they initially did. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. I'm stunned by the people who are more, influenced by current trends, by evangelical thought, by what some would call mainstream secularized Christianity. Yeah. Not an apostolic version of Christianity. Very different thing than what our forefathers espoused, fought for, believed in. And so now they say, oh, you know, we're a lot smarter, we're a lot more educated, we're embarrassed by what we were. We don't need to dress like that. We don't need to talk like that. Yeah. We don't need to live like that. It's just old-fashioned rules, and it doesn't mean anything. We're much more progressive now. Let's just change everything, and let's... And they never know why their forefathers believed it. There are also people that have gone so far to treat many of our elders like um, little cute sideshows. Yeah. Uh, look how they used to do things. Look, yeah. Look how cute they are and the way that they lift their hands and tell everybody to shout and they've lost the initial potency behind what it is they're doing. Well, the worst case of that is I won't call any names, but it was a, it was a large church that we knew of and we loved everybody in the nation loved it. And a great elder and Bishop, um, pastored there for many years. It was a lighthouse for many years. He stood for the truth, the power of the name of Jesus, the oneness of God, the new birth Acts two thirty eight. Holiness, separation from the world, all of the apostolic distinctives that make us who we are. And he 
turned the church over to his son. And his son was not half the man he is. And didn't pray like his father did, didn't carry the weight that his father did, wound up completely compromising on everything. People scattered from that church, went to all the surrounding churches because it was no longer an apostolic church. And as the years passed, he wound up selling it. He just sold it. Wow. I don't know what they did with it. I'm not trying to disparage anybody's character, but I am just saying that generational transfer is one of the most powerful things that can happen, and it, it can make or break an apostolic legacy. Yeah. So you see this in the Old Testament when you look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, it never was supposed to be that. It was supposed to be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But that's not what we say. We don't say Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. We say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, mm-hmm. where Esau is replaced by Jacob. The younger brother replaces the older brother, and that's a message in itself. Praise God. Um, <laughs> um, and, you know, David. David creates this kingdom by the help of God. He forges it with a, a walk with God and with worship and a strong sword arm. He establishes it. Solomon takes it, polishes it, creates wealth, and and does amazing things. And then Rehoboam loses it. Wow. And in the apostles, you have, um, you see this in Peter and Paul being a first generation, and then you see Timothy. And who? After that, you don't read, well, the Bible doesn't describe it because it only covers those two generations, but the ones that followed after that did not carry near the weight wow. of the original the original founders of the church. So we see that too. We see it that there will be a powerful generation that rises. Doesn't mean it was perfect. There's a, there's a slew of problems. All humanity has problems. All flesh has problems. But they are the founding generation. They're often very rough around the edges because they're coming out of sin. Yeah. They're coming out of chaos. They build it, establish it. They're not politically correct. They don't care about convention. They're not polished. They fight, and the very nature of the fight creates them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You often see that many um, companies that have risen up in America over the last couple of hundred years, Mm -hmm. many of them were founded by immigrants or the children of immigrants. And there was a, there was a push to come up from where they were. Yeah. And, and you see that more in that first generation. Mm -hmm. You do. They oftentimes have accents. They worked very low level jobs. They worship God with all their heart. Yeah. And it's delightfully unsophisticated. (laughs) (laughs) And so, I mean, I'm, I'm all for professionalizing things and putting our best foot forward and, and being amazing. But you know, you can put so much human effort into it. You lose the divine touch. That's right. And for a message that was created and given into the hands of fishermen, tax collectors and the lowly, you got to be careful that you don't professionalize yourself right out of Pentecost. That's exactly right. So 
I heard one writer say one time that many of the later generation, the third and fourth generation, they would not want to sit at the same table as their grandparents or great grandparents. Yeah. They'd Louis Lamore, wasn't it? It was Louis Lamore. Yeah. Yes. And he, he makes the point, that's a very valid point, that, that this newer polished generation is embarrassed by the the comical nature of their poor little grandparents. Aren't they cute? Kind of a cultural curiosity. And wow. We love grandma and grandpa. You know how they were. And and we'll just tuck them away in this cultural niche of Pentecost that we're, we say we're thankful for, but we don't live anything like it. And we wow. and people forsake those paths. Now, they want to claim it. They yeah. want to trumpet and herald their names, but they do not live like them, do not look like them, do not talk like them. They have thrown everything they stood for overboard, mm-hmm. and that's a problem. So Louis makes the statement, They'd be embarrassed to sit at the same table as the grandparents. And then he drops the bomb. I love this. And the grandparents would be ashamed to sit at the same table as them. Wow. So, you know, it's not just would I be happy to sit at the same table as my great grandfather. Would he be happy to sit at the same table as me? It's a thought. Boy, it is. Wow. Well, that, that, that great elder that I'm talking about in that church that was lost, um, you know, people tried to stop it. They tried to stop the downhill slide. But the young man was arrogant. He was full of himself. He knew everything. He was determined to take that church into apostasy, and he did. And any time somebody criticized him or tried to stand against him, he took it as more fuel to justify himself. And the, the, the elder wasn't dead. He He knew this. And he tried to stop it. He tried to get up in the pulpit. He tried to straighten it out, but the mantle had already been passed. The transfer of power had already happened. And so the son would get up after him and just kind of say, oh, don't we love dad? Isn't he wonderful? We all know how passionate he is. Yeah. And they would just shuffle him off to the side and the newer generation would go apostate. And that's what it is. It's not more modern. It's not more educated. It is apostasy. Right. And today there's no apostolic church there and it is a crime yeah it's a crime um so how do you do that how do you make the transfer how do you make sure that the principles that made that original generation so great that they carry on through and not just hang on to them build on them increase them i'm not just trying to hang on to what my elders preached i am trying to and i think we are succeeding Mm -hmm. to to Give life in unprecedented ways. Right. Missional opportunities, entrepreneurial opportunities, and never losing the apostolic distinctiveness that makes us who we are. Right. I think one place that you start, and you've talked about this before, even on the podcast, is losing your privilege and going back to a first generational mindset and a first generational um, root and, and growing from that point. You ever heard of the statement, God doesn't have any grandkids? Wow. No, I haven't, but that, that's a powerful statement. <laughs> so if you read Romans chapter one, um, it's talks about, you know, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle separated into the gospel of God. Um, 
it says that he was, uh, talks about Jesus, who was of the seed of Israel, of the seed of David, according to the flesh, but was declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit. Yeah. Wow. So it highlights the two births, the fleshly birth and the spiritual birth. And so my contention is every generation has to be first generation. So we don't want, um, we don't want to rest on our genealogies. That was the problem with physical Israel was they rested on the fact, you know, the genealogies of the old Testament proving who their parents were, man, you get into that stuff. The more generations that pass, the more blessing comes. And that's a topic in and of itself. Remind me to come back to that. But the more blessing accrues and accumulates, that blessing is supposed to increase the kingdom of God, not make you arrogant, not make you dress like a, like a dandy or a, <laughs> I used to call them a fop. <laughs> that's a mop with, uh, that's fancy, I guess. <laughs> a fancy mop, a fop. And, and, <laughs> and they come walking into church events and their nose are so high up in the air and they, they everything's designer and you know, I, I have no problem with nice stuff. But man, when you think that's what it's all about, right. you have lost what it's all about. That's good. And you know, God gives us blessing to build the kingdom, to win the lost, to preach the gospel. Well, as those generations um, come and they get established, we're supposed to grow stronger and greater. And unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. So we're supposed to be first generation. The greatest thing that ever happened in my life was starting a church. <clears throat> starting a church forced me out of my Urshan heritage. Wow. And there's another thing Louis Lamore said, and everybody, I think everybody should hear it, is ships don't sail on yesterday's wind. Wow. It's a good statement. It's a powerful statement. And the truth is that the further we rely on, the more, I should say, we rely on privilege and um, natural advantages that were given to us because of we're born into the church, we're born into blessing, we're born into education, we're born into wealth, we don't have to fight through the chaos. That's not supposed to weaken us. That's supposed to give us a a powerful foundation to leap from. And the further we get from our apostolic identity, the more dangerous it gets. So if you don't do that right, if you become a second generation, third generation, fourth generation, you're going to lose it. Yeah. Flesh degenerates. Um, you have got to go back and become first generation again. I'm convinced that some, I, <laughs> I can remember when I got a big taste of reality as a kid, I, I was raised in a middle-class home, a privileged home. And, I was out in the neighborhood one day and, you know, I was raised with a lot of blessing, a lot of favor. My mom loved me. My, my dad loved me. My, my siblings loved me. And I knew peace and I knew a lot of goodness. Well, I went out in the neighborhood and none of those kids knew <laughs> any of that and didn't care. Yeah. And so me and a kid got sideways on something and he hauled off and smacked me right in the nose, punched <laughs> me in the nose. And I didn't appreciate that. I punched him right back in the nose. And we started rolling around in the dirt and our <laughs> hair was messed up and and scuffed up. And I was punching, he was punching. And 
well, I, I got a revelation that not everybody thinks like I do. And this thing's right. harder than you think <laughs> it is. And I'm convinced that there's a lot of people that are effeminate. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people, my men, uh, there's a lot of people who, boy, they just need a good punch in the nose. That, that, <laughs> that right there. That's a good message. That's right. Man, you're so ultra offended at everything, particularly this generation. Man, millennials and people that are coming up, they've never had that experience. You just get out and roll in the mud and, and, and find out what life is about. And it has a way of bringing things home. Yeah. You know, it, it happened in Israel and it can happen today. In the book of Isaiah, it talks about the pride that had consumed the daughters of Israel. Isaiah 3? It does. It, it's mm-hmm. in verse 16, Moreover the Lord saith, because the daughters of Zion are haughty, haughty. Walk, walk with, with stretched forth necks, necks yeah. and wanton eyes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Walking and mincing. Making, mincing, <laughs> making a tinkling with their feet. Yeah, that, that's quite the description. <laughs> yeah, well, the Bible says the Lord will smite with a scab the head of the crown of the daughters of Zion and that he will discover their secret parts. Wow. In other words, God's going to open you up and see your heart. And in that day, the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments and their round tires like the moon. And he goes down this big long list of jewelry and yeah. extravagance. And their sweet smell shall be stink. Mm-hmm. So it's a way for God to humble people and to bring them to a place of repentance. Yeah, that has to happen. I, If you take that natural illustration that I made about the, the little neighborhood dust up with a, a kid when I was eight years old, seven years old, and you apply that to the spirit world, there was a time in starting my church where I got my nose bloodied. I got my eye blacked. I got in a fist fight with the devil. Um, winning souls does that. Meeting life circumstances does that. The greatest lessons I ever got came from my enemies. Yeah. It's one thing to tussle with somebody in Bible studies, but man, and, and to fight devils and to contend for people's souls, but when you... When you come into contact with next level manipulation and deviation, you get your you get your PhD in how to serve God. You find out what you're really made out of. And I contend that the greatest enemy David faced wasn't Goliath, it was Saul. Wow. You know, we say that the the lion and the bear were the were the proving grounds for Goliath, and rightly so. But Goliath was a proving ground for Saul. Wow. The true enemy was apostate Israel, and it was generational decay. So all of that that David went through was not just for Goliath in the Valley of Elah. It was preparing David to live life in exile, to counteract an apostate state and wicked rulers who had gained power by political intrigue and were trying to consolidate a power base and did not serve the Lord, were backslidden in their hearts, and um, David had to survive all that and and forge his own purpose in God and love God no matter what happened. So, yeah, it's, it's not an easy task. So what do you do? One of the things you do is you got to get back to the basics. You got to pray. I'm stunned by the people that don't pray. We, um, we had prayer today at uh, noonday prayer here at FPC. It's a beautiful time. We have times where people come together and worship God. We have pre-service prayer. And um, you come in, you lift up your voice, you call on the Lord. 
prayer, a lot of people backslide just because they don't pray. The devil's not stronger. Sin's not worse. You're not praying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So go find what the sweet hour of prayer was that your forefathers sang about. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's how this translates. And this is a problem. There's a lot of people today, older saints of God, that are so sad that there's no more old songs. And it's a topic hotly debated in the Urshan household because I love old songs. Yeah. I love them. When we have conferences, all my friends have all the new songs. And when they want to do a retro throwback, they want to call the old song guy. <laughs> they, call, <laughs> they call Nathan. Hey, Nathan, can you come sing this old song? And I love it. But there's a generation that laughs at that, that mocks that. And, and I don't like old songs that are hokey. <laughs> you know, I, I don't like. Um, Wrong place to give examples of those. <laughs> well, I said, let me, let me, let me pull some up here. Uh, my son and I were just talking about this the other day. You know, you can sing a song like, um, in sin, I wandered sore and sad with weeping heart and aching. <laughs> Not head. the voice with that. <laughs> <laughs> Till Jesus came and sweetly said, okay, you know, there's a time and there's a genre there where people, I guess that blessed them. We apologize because someone watching is going to like that song. If you like that song, God bless you. And now I love the song. It's that delivery that I got a little trouble with. I think they call that twang. You know, as I'm sure there's people that love it. I don't personally enjoy that. But I have heard that song sung, sung so worshipfully and soulfully that it mightily impacts. And the words... In sin I wandered sore and sad with weeping heart and aching head till Jesus came and sweetly said, I'll take your sins away. Yeah. And then this launching into this, thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood. And then you get into it washes white as snow. A lot of our songs are made by prayerless people Yeah. today. It's a catchy ditty. Um, I know of a place in the country where um, a church, a pastor, instructed his staff. He said, um, we want to be seeker-sensitive. We want to be guest-friendly. Um, he said, we don't want to scare people. We don't want to weird people out. <clears throat> he said, so you can, you can sing songs and and." and have a variety of songs, but um, we're not going to sing the stuff about the blood because people hear blood and all that blood stuff that that just weirds people out and runs them out the door. Yeah, um, yeah. It wasn't too long until um, the absence of their of the blood in their in their services manifested um, in the people. Yeah, I thank God for the blood. Yeah. So you read a song or you hear a song and, you, and, the, and the songwriter just did it because it rhymed. Yeah. You know, what rhymes with grace? Space. Race. <laughs> Place. Your grace in this space. 
<laughs> you heard it right here at Biblos. <laughs> Somebody's going to take that and make a song out of it. Hey, just royalties. Royalties, yep. send those to 2008 <laughs> Carver Street, Durham, North Carolina. Yep. Well, if you're just choosing a song because it rhymes, you know, there's nothing wrong with nice songs that rhyme, but the reason, and my brother Joel said this, and it's a very true statement, the reason why G.T. Haywood wrote a song called I See a Crimson Stream of Blood is because G.T. Haywood saw a crimson stream he of blood. He saw it. Wow. And he prayed. There's an old um, legend that he would wake up at 3 a.m. every morning, and he would pray till 6 a.m. Wow. And read the Bible. And during that time, he was uninterrupted. God spoke to him. He had time with God in the in the the cool of the morning. And I think we'd have a lot more life-changing experiences if people live that level of consecration today. That's right. So that's a way to maintain it. They prayed. They called on God. Their lives depended on it. And it's reflected in their music. It's reflected in their worship. So if you take out songs about the blood, it won't be long before you take out songs about hell. Yeah. The devil. Uncomfortable topics. Yeah. Avoid you know, all those. Oh, there's mega church televangelists with million watt smiles and big hair. Big hair. <laughs> <laughs> I, we, we went on the internet and we started. No, it was big hair. Now it's tight jeans. Okay. It's transition. Well, you got to have, yeah, you got to have <laughs> your tight jeans. Yeah. Well, I told my wife, I said, um, now that we're on the internet, I got to get, I got to get big hair. Um, <laughs> And, and, and the, the, Please don't. The, <laughs> the proportion of success of your ministry, your hair grows. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. Have you ever seen those memes that will say like um, 90s dad starter package or. Yes. Uh, yes. Karen starter package. There yeah. is a tele-evangelist starter, starter package <laughs> and it's it's quite an interesting. I can only imagine. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah, you got to have your megawatt smile. You got to have your big hair. You got to get your Rolex. Yeah. I just want to throw something in there on another note. Mm -hmm. um, while they're removing songs that maybe feel uncomfortable, they're replacing them with a lot of songs that have bad theology. Okay, well, give me an example. Well, um, let me think on that for a second. <laughs> well, you're thinking. Because I've got them. You think while well, I say this. Okay. <laughs> there's you can remove songs that make you uncomfortable and what you're doing is you're removing offense yeah and the bible describes that um i think it was paul who talked about the offense of the cross being ceased the cross is offensive you don't get schmoozed into church you don't just come along some, alongside somebody and buddy-buddy them into church and hopefully sneak up on them. Yeah. <laughs> the cross is a perpendicular, juxtaposed uh, encounter with God where he crashes into your life and demands that that you look at eternity and the and the and the consequences of, of the way you're living, and you've got to come into alignment with him. And it requires death. It requires bloodshed. It requires um, sacrifice. It requires taking up your cross daily and following him. And if you try to turn this into a, a, a rose-strewn pathway, man, those, those 
ancient Hebrew festivals and, and rituals, they're, they're, when they dedicated the temple, they dedicated hundreds of thousands of animals, they, or they sacrificed hundreds of thousands of animals to God. And that's a lot of blood, man. Yeah. And the white garments, can you imagine the, the red gore? Quite offensive. Ah, offensive. But And if you remove that offense, the Bible says, uh, Paul said, I tell you even weeping that there are some that are enemies of the cross of Christ. Not enemies of Christ per se, but enemies of the cross of Christ. So if you don't like holiness and modesty, and if you don't like sacrifice, and if you don't like speaking in tongues and worship and, and all of the, the Hebrew dynamism that that is rooted and grounded in, you're going to miss it, and you're going to create something that is no longer the church. That's right. So it becomes the Kiwanis Club. It becomes a social effort. It becomes the YMCA. It becomes just another charity that kind of helps people out, feeds the homeless, et cetera, et cetera. And we do all those things. But that's not what the church was grounded in. It's grounded in the book of Acts. It's grounded in the day of Pentecost. It's grounded in the sacrifice of the lamb and the, and the blood and the, and, the, and the death and the resurrection are all part and parcel that come with that. And our song should reflect that. Our preaching should reflect that. So everybody that wants to compromise on those points and walk away from that, you're walking away from the heritage of your forefathers. If your grandparents were alive right now, would they feel comfortable in your church? Wow. And if they wouldn't, why? Yeah. Who changed? And so I get passionate about it. If A.D. Urshan showed up tomorrow and walked and sat down in the front row of First Pentecostal Church, I, I would hope, I, I'd hope that I would welcome him to the pulpit and we'd run laps around the church and pray 100 people through to the Holy Ghost. And if you can't still do that, something's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my rant for the day. I thought of a couple of things. Come on, bring them. Um, this one is often laughed about. And I think we've all sung this song, but... It's funny because songs enter into the apostolic world. We just change little lyrics. Mm -hmm. And um, an example of that is how he loves us. Um, yes, there is a, there, there is biblical imagery of God and his bride. Mm -hmm. But um, you're in the middle of worshiping God and, and the lyric rings out, um, when heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss that is the original lyric it is like a sloppy wet kiss oh that's stupid there's Can there's I a <laughs> there, there's a there's a feminization of like a sloppy worship. wet yeah oh my goodness so what what do we say heaven meets earth like a i think we've said beautiful kiss i think we've said yeah uh beautiful kiss and delightful yeah bath <laughs> That's an inside joke. Yes. Yes. Sloppy wet kiss is not going to get the job done. No, it's not. No. <laughs> I, I also know of several that um, they're not oneness songs. And you start to get into some of those lyrics that are describing um, God. And, 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 and you, you realize real quickly, wait a minute. Um, I don't think that's the oneness message. Yeah. Um, there, there's one in the back of my mind. The the name of the song is skipping me, um, but I have heard it sung in many apostolic circles. 
it is a Trinitarian song. Mm. The theology in the song is Trinitarian. Bad theology. So we've gone from singing G.T. Haywood songs written by someone that saw the oneness yeah. to singing, uh, forgive me, uh, I don't know, Chris Tomlin, um, yeah. random CCM guys yeah. that don't have a revelation of the oneness. And, and I think it's a shame. I think it's a shame that we don't have more apostolic creators that are that are putting theology into their songs that 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 reflect who we are and what it is we believe. Yeah, I agree. And that's a danger. I want to modernize. I want to transition. I want there to be transfer. But apostolic songwriters, let's get some lyrics that matter. Yeah. Um. Like there's, a, there's an old song, He's the Great I Am. It's one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. He's the Great I Am, Everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace, Zion's Righteous Governor, Holy Counselor, Great Eternal Wonder. He's the Great, He's the Great I Am. That's a good one. Um, great oneness songs, monotheistic songs, uh, songs about the blood. Um, and I know they can get a little dated, and I know they can be played in a in a style that maybe isn't comfortable with some. But man, um, it's all part of the transfer. It's all all a part of the succession. It's really sad because people there are there are young men who do not believe this message that are waiting on older men to die so they can steal their churches. I know that sound that's going to that's going to create a a strong sentiment out there but it's what happens. And if if that patriarch was alive, I wonder if he would be happy with the decisions you've made. Do you worship the way that they did? Do you do you have the same presence of God that is there? Because Israel was filled with apostasy and there were kings that embraced idolatry and Israel lost its victory. I don't want to be that king. I don't want to be the Ahab that doesn't have the backbone that Jezebel runs right over the top of. Wow. I don't want to be that. So, yeah, I want my grandpa to feel comfortable in my church. Yeah. Well, and, and so let me address that statement I just made. What, what a lot of, what has happened many times, I should say, is there'll be young men that act like they believe the truth. And they will say, yes, 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 to the elder. The elder has fought for that church. Eld older saints have fought and bled and sweated, blood, sweat, and tears, um, blood, sweat, and tears for that church. They, you know, peanut brittle cells, all night prayer meetings, revival services, countless moves of God, worship, and they they pay off church buildings. They they anchor them, they establish them in the doctrine, and then there'll be some young guy that comes along that gains that elder's favor mm -hmm. long enough for the older man to die or to transfer power over to him and will promptly take it. Yeah, that's right. Off track. It's one reason why I'm I'm bothered by when people have the sound of saying something, but they actually say nothing. And that's possible. I um I think it can be easily mistaken when someone has the sound of Pentecost and they know how to press the right buttons. They know how to, how to sing along with the organ and, and get the sound of it. But the words that are coming out of their mouth are not <clears throat> theology. They're not 
oneness, their their excitement, their hype, they get people to jump up and down and shout. Um, I think oftentimes people that, that don't have that grounding can kind of press their way into Pentecostal circles and, and slowly poison. They slowly poison because what they're saying may sound like it's um, Pentecost, but it can often, in fact, not be Pentecost. The only way to overcome that is to know the voice of the shepherd. That's right. The Bible says, my sheep, they hear my voice, and they will not go to another. Um, and so in addition to prayer and gener- generational transfer and apostolic succession, you have to know the Bible. That's right. If you're more interested in the latest conference being held by some religious figure and you're wowed by modern methods more than the actual scripture, yeah, God help you. That's right. So knowing the voice of the shepherd, you're not going to deviate from it. You're going to love the things that God loves. You're going to love the things that the patriarchs loved. Um, I wish some people would stop ripping off um, the latest messages preached at mega churches and, and start ripping off Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> well, Charlie Mahaney used to say, uh, he'd hold up a Bible. He'd say, you know, this Bible will shed a lot of light on those commentaries you're reading. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I get it. it, it ultimately, it, power and anointing flows from the head down, and God is the head of all things, and the man Christ Jesus is his visible head. He's the image of the invisible God, and then there's the man under him, then there's the woman, and then there's the children, and the Bible says that it flows from Aaron's beard down to his skirts, and literally his robes, and that's the masculine to the feminine, and authority flows that way. And so if the church is going to thrive, there has to be a leader that has vision, that has talked to God. There's got to be a man that goes up to the mountain that brings back God's word to the people. And if you, you cannot give something you don't have. Right. So the only way to get it is by prayer, by in-depth search of the word of God, falling in love with the things of God. It's not some secret formula. Um, the patriarchs didn't have a secret secret formula. They just sought the face of God with all their heart, and God raised them up for His purpose. And um, that that's the core of apostolic succession. We have people that God is raising up right now that they are not worried about organizational lines. They are worried and they are concerned with apostolicism. Are we going to be like Jesus? Are we going to be that original church? Are we going to take dominion? And and God's doing it. It's 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 an exciting time to be serving God right now. We have tools that the apostles did not have, and we should be we should be evangelizing the world with these tools, and we are. So, I'm excited about it. Yeah, you know, um, Bishop Wilson, um, you have us reading a book for some of the leadership training mm-hmm. here at FBC, and um, in that book, Bishop Wilson talks about pushing off from the 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 shore and launching the into the deep. Yeah. yeah. Um, he said that some people will even say, um, oh, stay away from those docks. Um, stay away from those sailors, mm-hmm. those sailors, they'll, they'll get to you. Yeah. Um, when meanwhile, there's a launching into the depths that needs to happen. Um, it's more familiar in the shallows. You can see the shore in the shallows. 
um, you can live in, privi in, in privilege and comfortability in the, in the shallows, but there's a, there's a depth that God wants to bring you to in him. And the only way that you can do it is by pushing away from the familiar and pushing away from the privilege and pushing away from everything that you've known um, and launching into what it is that God wants to do in your life. These shall see the wonders of the deep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. It's the truth. So I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that a lot of young leaders fall into the trap of never pushing away the familiar. All they know is what their, their culture, their skin color, their privilege, their narrow focus on life has taught them. Mm-hmm. And man, if they would launch into prayer and the, the reading of the word of God, a love for the word of God, teaching the word of God, let God reveal it to you, building a church. You know, I think one of the distinguishing traits of people who successfully transfer are, will you get out and do the work? Right. That's right. When you go out, the Bible says that David wanted the favor of God and Saul said, if you will go out and kill a hundred Philistines, then you can have my daughter's hand in marriage. David went out and killed 200. Wow. I love that. That's good. And that story, if you read it, it's actually a lot more graphic than that. Saul asked for, he asked for physical trophies to prove it. And David did. And it's actually, it's too graphic to go into here on the podcast, but I'll just say that it is a metaphor for bringing back people baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Wow. So I believe that the distinguishing trait and the difference between success and failure in succession and transfer is will you get out and do the work? That's right. Will you win the lost? There's a suffering. There's a rejection. There's a rejection you need to encounter. You need to get punched in the nose by this world. You need to fight and contend for this faith. You need to be forced to dig into the word of God. And if you've never done that, if everything was handed to you on a silver platter, and if you are daddy's little pumpkin and, and, <laughs> <laughs> and you just learn how to lead songs and you're preaching because you saw your dad do it, but you've never done it, go do it. Learn what it's about. It's not a production. It's not theatrics. It is the work of God. And let the same passion grip you that gripped your grandfather. And the same walk with the shepherd that he had, let it become yours. And that's the difference. That's good. You know, um, in the scripture, um, we, we find that Shulamite, that her, her skin was darkened by the sun. Mm. And it was darkened by the sun because she was busy in the vineyard. She was working. She was working. Um, I heard Bishop Wilson talk in a message about blue bloods. Mm. That in that day, mm. Mm. There, were, um, there were people that they inherited wealth. They, they lived a life of royalty and privilege. And um, because they didn't have to get busy in the work of the vineyard, they'd sit inside all day. And they they were called blue bloods because their skin was so pale that you could see the um the the 
blue coloration of their veins. Yeah. And and their 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 skin was almost translucent. Yep. And it was seen as a a, a sign of wealth, yep. privilege of, of even beauty. And um Solomon finds beauty in the darkened skin of Shulamite. Yeah. Um that's a metaphor of God and his people being out in the field. He's not looking for people that Ooh. have never gained praise God. Muscle formity and been um, weathered by the by the sun and by the work of the vineyard. He's looking for people that are willing to get their hands dirty, yep. that are willing to show up to a prayer meeting, that are willing to do the work, and he loves that people. Mm. Boy, that's so good. That is, And it's the difference between success and failure in the kingdom of God. That's right. I, I see some of my peers, and I, and I appreciate them. I appreciate all the good work that they do. Uh, and Some of them are, are they have a wealth of experience in ministry that is really seasoned them and weathered them and tempered them and others they're trying to modernize into excellence and i'm all for that but make sure you do it with an apostolic framework right because you can look at if you're not careful you know i want to i want to dress and 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 bring my best and be professional there is a way to present yourself and, and, and to be classy and to your, your discipline and your progressiveness and your awareness can show in how you present yourself. But that doesn't mean we throw out modesty. Right. And it doesn't mean that we throw out authentic worship. And there is a lack of sophistication in worship. I never want my worship to become so polished that it loses what it is. That's right. So if my elderly saints can't take off running around the church. Mm -hmm. I don't want it. I don't want to be seeker sensitive like that. I would also say I never want to get so far from the source that I forget the reason that I'm jumping up and down. Well, let's take a look at the blue bloods for a second. The Bible says that Michael looked down at David as he danced. Yeah. And so Michael sits in her ivory tower and she's the daughter of a backslidden monarch. Mm hmm. And she looks down on worship. And so if you look down on worship, you are out of order. You're missing it. You're missing it. David danced before the Lord with all of his might as the ark of the Lord came back. And that's a metaphor. When the presence of God comes back to the house of God, it's time to dance. So when we mm. dance on Sunday night, we are. it's a Davidic Hebrew expression that the ark is here. Wow. Praise God. There's a little song that says the ark is coming up the road. <laughs> rejoice and sing and shout. The ark is coming up the road. Um, so you wonder where David learned to dance. Did he, did he learn it when he was tending to the sheep somewhere in a field on the backside of a desert and nobody was watching? Well, dancing was actually a very big part of the Levitical priesthood. Yeah. They played, they, they had people that were skilled and it was, it was a part of temple worship. Um, and worshiping God in the Old Testament. You know, Moses and Aaron and and Miriam all danced and sang and played the tambourine when they were delivered from Egypt. It, it was a, it's a beautiful expression and I never want to lose that. It's 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 part of our DNA. Yeah. Um and I don't just mean moving to the rhythm like it's you know, just some modern thing. Bouncing up and down like a float and you don't know why. No. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't want the beat of the drum to be what dictates what I'm doing. I want it to be worship. That's right. But that aside, there was another trait of blue bloods that, that was a big problem. And that is they thought they were better than everybody else. So they would only marry one another. Um, they, they actually taken to its furthest extreme. They thought they were gods. Mm. The Romans thought they were gods. And so gods can't be bothered with the feelings of commoners and mixing with the common people. <laughs> and so they only married one another until the gene pool got so di- diluted that they became crazy. They went insane. Yeah. So Nero fiddled while Rome burned. It was a crazy monarch, an emperor that was inbred mm. that killed the apostles. And that's a pretty serious metaphor that people that are so drunk on power and privilege, they kill the authentic move of God. Yeah. So apostolic succession and generational transfer, I want to have that same worship, that same atmosphere, that same walk with God. Yes, let's modernize music to the point where it it resonates. Let's modernize decor. Let's let's focus in excellent on 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 excellence. The Bible did say play skillfully. And so I'm all about that. But let's not get rid of modesty. Mm-hmm. Gender distinction. Cross dressing. We we do not cross dress. And that's a huge thing. When 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 you have women who put on pants and get on a platform, it is just a little step to the side for men in dresses to get up there. That's exactly right. And so for all... Well, because, because they're male dresses, I mean, they've got female ones, they've got coming. male ones. It's coming. Yeah. That's exactly right. It is coming down the pike. And you don't don't be a hypocrite. Yeah. Don't be a If you're going to go that way, and if you're going to say it's not a big deal, then... I think that you're going to find there's a reason why God wanted men to be men and women to be, to be women. And dress was a part of it. So if you want to call grandpa old fashioned because he taught that women wore dresses and men wore pants, which we do believe and we do teach, we teach against cross-dressing or another way of saying it is we teach for men and for women. And you're living in a world now where that's considered hate speech. It's considered attacking and discriminatory, but it's biblical. And as a, as a confused generation wrestles with generational transfer and apostolic succession, the more they drop those principles, the more they lose their authentic identity in God. I don't ever want to lose the presence of God. I don't ever want the ark to be taken by the Philistines. Saul loses it. Michael's Contempt of worship loses it. Saul's legacy lies dead. His body is taken to the Philistine city. His head is separated from his body. It took David to restore it. It took a dancer to restore it. The Davidic line and the the lineage of Jesus Christ was established and God would establish his throne forever. That's the church I want to be part of. That's good. Well, that's all I got time for today, man. We got a big schedule here. We've got service tonight, Spanish service. We're excited about the things happening here at Durham <clears throat> and exciting things coming in the future. So 
anyway, thank you for joining us. Um, until next time, be praying, be reading your Bible. God bless you.